Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Thank you, congregation, for your beautiful singing. It's fun to get up here and just hear you voice back the words of the Lord. And Adam, thank you, and Teal, and choir. Amazing. Adam, those songs that you picked out really preached my sermon for me, so appreciate that. Pastor Brian, I want to thank him. What a blessing he is. I know you know that. A blessing to us as a staff and what the privilege it is for me to be able to preach today. God bless you. Let's look at Psalm 1 and read it. Listen along. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh God, we want to hear a word from you today, not just human words, but we want to hear from you, your sweet presence. Thank you that your sweet presence is already here. The word of God go forth in power, supernatural power, and may we hear from you, and may we be obedient to you, Lord that we might, you might disclose yourself more and more to us every day, every moment of this life, that we might have abundant life here and life eternal forever and ever, but also that we might see many, many women, boys and girls, through our fruit, through our life, come to know you and be blessed by you. And we would see you high and lifted up. Thank you, Jesus, for the precious, your precious blood. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for living among us living inside of us. May you fill us now, anoint me with your spirit, even now in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you could think of one thing over the span of your life, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, that you would like to change, that you would like to make different, that you'd like to do more of, what would it be? It may not be what I'm thinking about, but it is, it ought to be in your top five. Um, children, I want you to think with me and I want you to figure out what is this one thing that I'm thinking about and maybe by the end of the sermon you'll know what it is and tell your mom and dad and um, let them know that you're listening. Psalm 1 and 2 are like orphan psalms. They don't have an inscription underneath them to say who wrote it. We know the Holy Spirit wrote them but we do have, we know that in Acts 4.25 it scribes Psalm 2 to David and we know that um, Psalm 1 and 2 are strategically linked together, and many people think that they were written to be together. John Phillips is helpful here. He says, on those two great hinges, Psalm 1 and 2, all the Old Testament opens up like one vast door. So the hinges that just open up to us. Psalm 1 focuses on the law. Psalm 2 on prophecy. Psalm 1 is emotional. It begins with an overflowing Emotion, a rush of emotion. Oh, the happiness of the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Psalm 2 is intellectual. 
Asking why. It deals with a moral problem. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? Psalm 1 begins with blessing and ends with curse. Psalm 2 begins with curse and ends with blessing. Psalm 1 is, focuses on Christ. Psalm 2 more on the Antichrist. Psalm 1 shows the meditation of the godly. Psalm 2, the meditation of the ungodly. The two psalms here are more of an introduction to the Hebrew hymn book, and they summarize the content of the whole. Psalm 1 is an introduction, or Psalm 1 answers the the problem of the world gone wrong. Psalm 2 is the answer of the world in rebellion. Psalm 2 is a good description of our world today, and Psalm 1 is the answer. So here we are at the beginning of Psalm 1, and the first word is blessed. In the Hebrew, it is plural. Oh, the blessednesses, or happy, happy, happy is the man, but of course deeper and richer than happy, similar to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Oh, the blessedness of the man. God does not give out his blessings in the singular, but pours them out in the plural. It is an open front door. This open front door of the book of Psalms is like a welcome mat of blessings and warnings. So notice how the psalm divides up nicely into three parts. We have the way of the godly man in verses 1 through 3, the way of the ungodly man in verses 4 through 5, and then verse 6 gives us the destiny of the two men. So first, the way of the godly man, verses 1 through 3. And here we'll spend most of our time, so don't get panicky if you see that I'm about two-thirds into the time and only one-third into the sermon. So let's consider this as coming from the heart of a shepherd. It doesn't necessarily say that, but let's just pretend for a moment that it's a shepherd and he's been out in the wilderness. You know the feeling. You're out in the wilderness. You've had time alone with the Lord. You're just wonderful, right? It's just you're feeling it. You're loving it. You're enjoying the presence of God. But he has to go back into the village to get more goods for his food and whatever he needs there. And so when he goes in the village, he's got all these temptations all around him. He, but he, and, he, and the Lord is saying here, the scripture is saying here that he has to make choices not to walk, not to stand, or not to sit with the wicked, sinners, and scoffers. So we know that in the world there's temptations. So in our modern day, what do we have? We go to school and we hear, sometimes we have great professors. I know there's a lot of great professors at, in Auburn and Southern Union. And, um, but we, we also know there's some that are not so great in the sense of they're mere intellectual but have no heart for God. So you go to the office, you go to work, you go to your classroom, or even your own mind when you're by yourselves. We know what we have to do. Our world is so much more complicated with cell phones and Internet and TV and computers and social media. With all the crazy technology, we have the world right at our fingertips for good or for evil. So we have to be really careful. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress writes about this when he describes Vanity Fair. You know, you have pilgrim or Christian, they walk into this town and they're faithful, and they have the adulterous woman calling in the streets. The world cries out for us to believe their counsel. So first, let's look at the way of the godly man, what he does not do. His life from a negative view in verse 1. Here the shepherd has to make wise choices, not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. 
We all have to walk. We have to live in this life. We have to be careful. We walk and stand and sit. But who with is of most importance? The verbs here demonstrate a progression or regression, you might say. And so do the nouns. They reveal a progressive downward spiral. Walk, stand, sits, counsel, weigh, seat, wicked, sinners, scoffers. It's slipping into sin. It's going from bad to worse. So first we consider the counsel of the wicked without God's filter, God's word filtering us. We walk in, then we soak it in, and then we buy in. Oh, be careful. Oh, be careful not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, but in the counsel of God's word. Don't stand around and listen to them at the coffee pot. If they're, and don't, beca- don't become part of them. If you can speak God's word into their heart, yes. But if all you get to do is listen and hear over and over, it will break you down. Then don't buy in and become ambassadors of what you're hearing. In the Hebrew, and it's a sermon all by itself, another time, there are five, at least five types of fools in the Hebrew Bible. Simple fool, it just listens to everything. He has an open head and just listens. Reactionary fool, like a child, always reacting back and forth. The silly fool is like me as a teenager. I just wanted to be liked. Whatever I had to do, I tried to be liked. The scoffer is a professor. This is the word here. It talks about the scoffer. You become an ambassador, a professor of speaking wicked things and convincing people of your way. Misery loves company, doesn't it? All right, then the last one, in the, if we did a sermon, we won't do, but is the committed fool, Nabal. You know the word, Nabal. And um, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So remember that an atheist who scoffs at God and his word is near the gates of hell. I like what the message, you know, the message is a Bible and contemporary language. And Psalm 1 says that we are to stay away from sin saloon, dead-end road, and smart mouth college. I like that last one the most, smart mouth college. Be careful. Johnny Artavanas, a, a dean of Masters University, here's what he says. Betty tweeted this, retweeted this one to me. Believer, be on guard for everything that dulls your conscience to the sinfulness of sin. The shows you watch, the music you listen to, the people you surround yourself with matter. Your heart is always being molded either by the world or by Christ. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So we looked at the blessed man concerning what not to do. Now let's look at him, what to do. What regulates his life from a positive view in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The word but there is just a reminding of a contrasting idea. Verse 1 is what the blessed man does not do, and verse 2 is what he does do, light. I tried to think about that word for a minute, and maybe you can help me out as you think about it. Delight. What do we delight in? You know, I delight in sports. I delight in food. I delight in my grandchildren. I delight in you. Uh, I delight in friends and family. Um, But what should I delight in most? The Word of God says in Psalm 37, 4 through 6, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. What amazing promise, isn't it? We must commit and trust. So there's something about delighting is a committing to it, is a delighting in, is a trusting in. And the result is where righteousness is, becomes light for others and noon like the noonday sun. Romans 7, says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Now, when he says the law of the Lord, it really is the Torah of Yahweh. The law is not, and it's not limited just to five books of Moses or even to the Old Testament, the whole. What it means, Torah means instruction that comes from God. So the believer's delight is not only in knowing and studying and memorizing God's word, but doing his word. And what is the promise for doing his word? Wow, the promise is that he will disclose himself to you. Can you imagine? As you obey God's word, he reveals himself to you. What an amazing promise in John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him, will disclose myself to him, will reveal. Can you not imagine every time you get up in the morning, you get there and, and God just reveals himself to you in his word? So how do you know God? Obey him. Do what he says. Trust in his word. May I ask you this carefully and gently is, God's word, your chief desire? Is it what you put first for first priority? Are you like Job? I have treasured the words of my, his mouth more than my necessary food. Would you be willing to not eat breakfast rather than eat and nourish on God's word? Or do you wake up in the morning, turn that TV on or social media or whatever, you got to check your scores or whatever it is. Wouldn't it be sweet if you could just spend time alone with God soaking up his word? Would you rather talk about sports, your favorite football team, baseball team, sports team, oh, oh, oh whoops, about grandbabies? Or have you hidden God's word in your heart so much that you're, as Spurgeon would say, your, run, your blood runs biblin? Do you walk in the Spirit in such a way that God's Word just flows out of you when others ask you for counsel? Maybe your prayer is like my prayer. Oh, God, give me a hunger and a thirst for your Word that cannot be quenched except by you and your Word alone. May I experience your joy and pleasure. May my delight in Torah of Yahweh, may I learn to love the written Word so that I love the living Word with all of my heart. Verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates. The idea of meditating here, <clears throat> Moses helps us here when he writes in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, and he talks about fathers that are instructed to talk to their children, to sit with them, to teach them gently or diligently and walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up, in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. So it's a constant processing, thinking, and talking about it in your heart, in your mind, and also to other people. Or along these same lines in Joshua 1.8, Moses commanded Joshua to meditate on Torah day and night. <clears throat> in Joshua 1.8. It's always, and I, when I first saw this verse, the book, of Moses, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And I go, really? Not depart from your mouth? Oh, but he's saying, keep it on the tip of your tongue. 
Always should be there. Or the king, the king of Israel. What were they doing? Deuteronomy 17 was to write out a copy of the law. And I remember when we were in Washington, D.C. at the Bible Museum and, the, and the, the scribe was there writing the law. And he's writing from, obviously, from right to left. And he was meticulous about it. Do you take time to write out? Do you diagram the sentences of the scripture? Do you circle the words? Do you line upon line? Do you talk about it? Do you write it out? Be a Joshua-like man. Be a king like God says. Meditate. A good analogy of that would be a sheep that's chewing the cud. They get their nutrients out of regurgitating their food and chewing on it, meditating on it. And another way would be to, to read it out loud, to say it to yourself, to talk about it, emphasizing the various words in the Scripture, knowing full well that your mind is a battleground. What you think about, the Scripture tells us to take every thought captive. You want to be a good soldier, like Joshua, meditate on God's Word. You want to be prepared for marriage, meditate on God's Word. You want to be a good businessman, meditate on God's Word. <clears throat> you want to be a good carpenter, you want to meditate on God's Word. You want to be a good student. Meditate on God's Word. Do you want to finish your life well? Meditate on God's Word. In one sense, the Bible tells us that we have everything we need for this present godliness, that, that, that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ Jesus. But even that, we know that Christ came, and what did He do? He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So we, even though Christ is our wisdom... We must memorize, meditate, and ponder on it. So our responsibility, when we know that, as many people talk about it, it is a civil war of a soul. We know there's a battle in our minds, and our responsibility is to place God's Word in our heart so that he, the Holy Spirit has the power, has the, the, um, the offense and defensive weapons that He needs. Now, most of us need to discipline ourselves before the delight comes, Right? Sometimes God's Word is like medicine. We take it because we know it will heal us. And other times it's like dessert. Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all day long. Now, is that, can you say that? Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all day long. Day and night. Read it before you go to bed. Place it in your mind. Let it be the one that cleanses your mind. You get up in the morning. Sometimes I am so cold, my heart's so cold, all I can do is punch the button and let the Word of God be read to me. But let it be read and read it yourself. And what do we do? You know the verse very well, Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is. And I love this, I see... It may not happen any, as much anymore, but there's a, a shirt's GAP, GAP, good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the way of the godly man, we've looked at him from a, what he should not do and what he should do, and now let's look at the fruit of his life in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. <clears throat> it's like a palm tree, an olive tree. In a dry and arid land, we were in Iraq, and it was 115 degrees. And I remember getting in the car and riding in a car for a while, and, <clears throat> and my back was just drenched with sweat. I'd step out of the car, and in 30 seconds, it was dry again. It was just so dry and arid. But God says these streams of water are like irrigation can canals alongside the trees, that they might thrive on well-watered roots. 
So this is what we need to survive. God tells us this. Let's believe him. It's the living water to flourish, to survive. We need God's living water. A tree firmly planted by streams of water. If we delight in God, if we meditate on God, we will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. So what does this prospering or success look like? I think of Joseph in the Old Testament most of the time when I think about this. Life was pretty troubling for him all along the way. If he'd have been at one point in his life, he would have said, am I really prospering? I don't think he would have said it. He wouldn't have thought about it. But he was because God had a plan for him. Maybe you're in a tough time right now. God is prospering you. He is developing you. He is making you more into the image of Jesus Christ every day if you're trusting him, if you're believing in him. Says you're like a tree. And what was amazing to me as I thought about this, what do trees do? They produce fruit, right? Do trees produce fruit for themselves? No, they don't, do they? They produce fruit so that you and I can go and pluck them. So you're producing fruit is not just for yourself. You're producing fruit for others. For us as a fellowship, we can be nourished by it, enjoy it, and enjoy your fellowship. So fruit in us is to nourish others. It's the Christ-like way in it. The Christ life is always about others. And it's not just an action consequence kind of thing. If you do this, this is the way it is. It is the power of God, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension power of God. He conforms us into his image. We lived in Minnesota for 20 years. I was a southern boy, L.A. boy, real southern. We lived in Minnesota for 20 years. And the snow, anybody that's been there knows snow can pile up here or higher. And so I was always amazed that in our yard, and our kids loved to play in it and snow, but, but the spring would come and it would begin to melt. And all of a sudden, when it melted and when it got down there, the grass would just be green. You know, here it takes time in the spring for the grass to get green, right? But there it was like, boom, it was green. And I thought, that is a great picture. And I think the scripture bears this out. There are some scripture passages about it. That is the, is the snow, we're packing on snow. We're, there's times in our life that it doesn't feel good. It is medicine. You're just, you're just going through the motions in some ways, memorizing God's Word, meditating on God's Word, studying God's Word, underlining, circling, or whatever. But ultimately, when you need it, the fruit's there. The grass is green. So, but the true blessed man is Jesus Christ, right? The blessed man here in this passage is Christ Jesus our Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with God's Spirit, and delighting and meditating in Him You too can be the blessed man, the blessed woman, the blessed boy, the blessed girl. Now let's look. It seems so simple, but don't let the simplicity take away from the mystery. It is mysterious in God, but don't let the mystery take away from the simplicity. Meditate, delight in God. And if you're not, say, God, teach me how to delight in you. Teach me how to delight in your word. For the godly man walks with the wise and delights and meditates on God's word. So we examine the godly. Let's look at the way of the ungodly in verses 4 through 5. He is fruitless and full of judgment. It says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Here is a double negative for emphasis. Not so the wicked, not so. So he's really contrasting with extreme words here. Not so the wicked, not so. Last um, Sunday, we were away doing a dedication for one of our grandbabies. 
And we were absolutely amazed and, and excited about this, though, that North Jackson, Tennessee, we were surprised at all the wheat fields. And, uh, and so exa- as you examine this wheat stalk, you find out that it's a hard yet lightweight outer shell or layer on the wheat kernel. And for this to be any good, that kernel, that little chaff, has to be moved and removed. So if you examine it, it's not really beautiful or useful until you get that chaff off. And so this metaphor of the chaff reveals how the Lord sends a little breeze, an afternoon breeze, and blows them away. No one remembers their place. Ironically, if you think about it, we remember people, evil people a lot, don't we? I mean, it's kind of sad. We could name evil people sometimes quicker than others. But in God's kingdom, we won't remember evil people, and they will not be remembered anymore. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. So the way of the ungodly is fruitless. And verse 5, full of judgment. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So at first glance, when I first read this a number of years ago, as I was meditating on it and memorizing it, I thought, wow, it looks like the, the, the wicked are not in the judgment. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. But what it really means is they will be there. They will no longer stand in haughty pride, but bow in holy awe before a God of wrath. And someday Christ will come back riding on that white horse with white robes as Revelation 19.11 and following says, spattered in the blood of his enemies. So we're looking for Christ and he will come back. And I know in your life and my life, thankfully Jesus first knocks with compassion. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He is knocking. Maybe some of you right now he's knocking. He's knocking on the door of your heart with great, great compassion. He wants you to turn to him. He desires for you to turn to him. Listen to the word of the Holy Spirit, even now, calling you, saying, Come, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he knocks with compassion at first, but someday he will look through eyes of fire on you and me, and none can stand before this holy God unless we're covered in the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit then, yes, we will bow again to Christ. For the great day of wrath is come, and who shall stand? Our God is a consuming fire. Yes, he, even in the song we were singing, it was really great. He consumes the chaff and even makes the gold even more pure, right? So we've examined the way of the godly, and secondly, the way of the ungodly. Now let's examine the destinies of the two. Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, But the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the path of the righteous, the first part of verse 6. The word know there is an intimate kind of knowing. He approves of, has regard to, he knows the way of the righteous. The verbal form there is a continuous, continually knowing you, knowing me, if we're in Christ. Like Jeremiah, God knew him before birth in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. During one of my questioning times in life, I I was learning and seeking the Lord with everything I had, and 
and just thinking about knowing God and how to know God. And, of course, it's through Christ Jesus our Lord. But I started thinking, Jesus, I, I think I know you, but, Heavenly Father, I'm not sure I really know you. I hardly know you. And the voice came back, but I know you. The destiny of the righteous is that God intimately knows us and our path. But the last part of verse 6 says, The path of the ungodly perishes, but the wicked, the way of the wicked will perish. God knows. The reason for the certainty of the judgment lies in God's knowledge of the affairs of creatures. I love the, <clears throat> the two verbal pictures here that Spurgeon, Spurgeon gives us. He says, <clears throat> The wicked plows the sea, though there is a path. Though there is a path, the waves cover it. Mm. The wicked plows the sea, though there is a path, the waves cover it. Or to change the metaphor, Spurgeon also says, The righteous carves his name upon the rock, but the wicked writes his remembrance in the sand. Please don't be fooled. There's only two ways. There's only two ways. There's only two roads. We think sometimes that there's a bad way, our way, and God's way. No, there's only God's way and the bad way. There was a former head coach of the University of Arkansas football team years ago that was caught in an adulterous relationship, and he said, it began with one kiss. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Those who produce fruit will be blessed because God is producing the fruit in Christ is producing the fruit. But those who do not produce fruit will come under the judgment of Jesus' words. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I like what C.S. Lewis says. God honors the choices of individuals. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God during their lifetime, Thou will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thou will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. So how do we put this psalm to practice? First, you must be born again. You must be born from above. Spirit of God coming into you, transforming you, and you must surrender daily to him, the Lordship of Christ. Second, delight like he says. Delight and meditate on God's word moment by moment. A good start would be to memorize this psalm if you haven't done it already. But maybe just a little side note, if those of you here that are who whose prayer life is not really what, it, what, you, what you want it to be. The intimacy with God is not what you want it to be. Meditating on God's Word will revolutionize your prayer life. Even George Mueller, the great prayer warrior in, in England, didn't feel like praying when he got out of bed. The good news is that we're not subject to the feelings, to those feelings. God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23, 29, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord. I like what Don Whitney says here. If you go to pray and your heart is cold as ice spiritually, you can take the fire of God's word and plunge it into your frosty heart by praying through a passage of Scripture. And let me just say this. We do that on Wednesday night. We need to fill that room in prayer. You come prepared. 
meditating on God's word and get in there and pray, we'll see this church blossom and bloom. It's a wonderful church, a great church. But let me tell you, if we get serious about interceding on the behalf of others, getting right with God, praying through the scripture, you'll see an amazing thing happen. Thirdly, live a life with roots drawing from the hidden resources of God. In Psalm 1-3, we weather the storms because the word of God is in us and it comes out of us. It says, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. We know God through his word, meditating and delighting, revealing Christ. And here's what happens. I look forward to that day. And Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 2.14, but let's get it started now. It's Habakkuk tells us that someday the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Wouldn't that be cool right now that our church, that the knowledge of God will cover the church of Lakeview Baptist Church like the waters cover the sea, and it, and it mostly does. But let's begin the journey now, delighting and meditating. A blessed life here and a blessed life hereafter. So where does this blessed life come from? Obviously, Jesus Christ is the blessed man, and we must look unto Jesus, who is the blessed man. And if you are in Christ, if you're born again, if you surrendered your daily lordship to Christ, you will realize that he is the way and the truth and the life. He is Christ in me, Christ in you, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. It is Christ in you who delights in God's word. It is Christ in you who meditates on God's word. It is Christ in you who is the tree firmly planted by streams of water. It is Christ in you who drinks deeply from the living water. It is Christ in you who is the leaf, who has a leaf that never falls. It is Christ in you who prospers abundantly and for all eternity. There is a great future for every man, woman, boy, and girl who sinks his roots deep down into the watered soil of Jesus Christ. I love what Martin Luther says here. So that it is not the way of feeling... It is not the way of feeling or of reason, but of faith alone. Believing God's word, what it says. It's not faith in anything. It's believing what God says. So that, that it is not the way of feeling or reason, but of faith alone, which is able to see through the darkness and behold the invisible. So you say, I have little faith. God's Word says faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Get in it. Read it. Study it. Meditate on it. Delight in it. I argued that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 could be one unit, so I want to end with the last verse in Psalm 2. Here's what we need to take to heart. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Kiss the son. Will you not kiss the son today? Lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Will you not take refuge in him even now? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. May you stir our hearts to love your word, to love the written word, that we might love the living word even more and more each day. May we work with each other, fellowship with each other, 
hear words from each other, encouraging words, exhorting words, that our life might be like the noonday sun. Teach us your ways, Lord. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to have an intimate relationship with you day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.